what happens when Frankenstein science combines with gigantic arachnids while you have the makings for some B-movie excellence at the drive-in. This is Kaiju versus History, 1955's Tarantula. Welcome back, everybody, to Kaiju versus History. I am one of your hosts, Miles, and with me is my buddy in arms, Patrick. Patrick, <laughs> how are you doing? Are you are you excited about getting some some giant bugs again? Uh, bugs, I'm okay with, but spiders. I, why did it have to be spiders? <laughs> <laughs> Especially tarantulas. Boy, howdy, I. I'm not a fan, I gotta say. And that's what this movie is based on. It's a universal fear of these eight-legged monsters. You know, and we're we're you know obviously focused more on on the the kaiju canon and the the especially the, the Japanese side of of things. And and not so much, I mean, we are covering, like I said last week, some of these American monster movies to kind of put things in context to what was exploding at the time. We are gonna leave this behind very soon. And <laughs> You you think, it's, but there's so many. There's so many, and and we're not watching all of them. By God, we are not watching all of them. <laughs> I I don't understand what the the American fascination was with giant bugs. I mean, them came out a year and three months before this movie, and made two million or so in in box office and the distribution. Thing about that, that was a really well crafted and acted movie so <laughs> it got some 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 good runs you know yeah through three years throughout the united states and universal studios saw warner brothers success and perhaps you know even the beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms success and, and other monster movies like that and decided to enter into the creature feature film market uh, this movie premiered november of 1955 in, in Los Angeles and across the U S about a month or no, one, one month later, exactly December 23rd, just in time for the holidays miles, of course, giant spider film. It's based on an episode of uh, science fiction theater written by Robert M Fresco, uh, a story called no food for thought, which makes me think of, much later film food of the gods where you know we just have giant creatures sprouting up all over the place uh, and that came out earlier in the year may 17th 1955 um yeah and 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 like last week where we kept comparing beast from uh 20,000 fathoms to it came from beneath the sea there's a lot a lot of dna shared with them <laughs> yep i mean <laughs> I, I didn't from do... the opening of this movie which is Almost the exact same. <laughs> yeah, a little creepier. You've got a, a lone figure wandering through what is supposed to be Nevada, but it's actually uh, just like, well, actually, I think parts of them was filmed in Nevada, but this movie is filmed all in the the, the desert of California. And we see this is not no little girl, though, but some kind of horrific monster in, in pajamas <laughs> wandering about. This film, they the studio reached out to legendary director Jack Arnold, who had done uh, the creature from the the Black Lagoon, and 
would later go on to do a very different form of giant monster movie in The Incredible Shrinking Man, in which a normal-sized human starts to shrink down and is menaced by all kinds of regular-sized creatures, like a regular-sized cat, you know, is, is all of a sudden huge. Right. And it, has, it also has a spider in it, very similar, who tries to eat the, the tiny human. Yeah, I... <sighs> Again, I, giant bugs have just never been my thing. Even in our our science fiction actual play podcast where we play Starfinder, that universe is littered with sentient bugs. I have never played one myself, and I'm usually less enthused when <laughs> we're around them. I, I don't know. Bugs have just never been an object of fascination for me. I think some aspects oh. of them in terms of science fiction are extremely interesting, but giant bugs have just never been my cup of tea so many other creatures in the animal kingdom are you know much closer related to humans than bugs are bugs are on their own different large branch of tiny creatures and i think part of the aversion you know everyone in the base of their brain has fear of you know, poisonous spiders and and other creatures that are invasive, um, you know, destroy food supplies, things like that. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of great potential in in bringing them to a large scale, which normally extremely tiny. The ants in them, you know, they're not a very menacing bug. No. <laughs> and well, it's it's funny you you brought in you you mentioned you know cats and i'm like man why hasn't there been like a giant lion movie like some sort of lion <laughs> kaiju that sounds awesome uh i mean yeah i mean there's the the god uh creature uh king cesar in godzilla which has kind of got cat-like features but yeah, yeah i i, I yeah. agree he's in one movie like <laughs> i i just i think there's a lot of interesting creatures to make giant films out of and mm-hmm. I, I get that you know, bugs can unnerve people. Like, like you said, I mean, especially, you know, tarantulas, the one thing that most people know about them are that they're big and venomous, even though this movie does a good job to kind of educate people about the bug, because they're typically not deadly to humans. Yeah, and got, most, most humans keep them as pets. We've got great, you know, scientist scenes going through the specifics and, and stuff like that. Yeah. This, this film definitely is playing on those fears um, it's, it's so interesting. It came out during the the holidays. It's not what you you would think because almost without exception, the American monster movies are coming out May, June, July. Those prime drive blockbuster times. Even uh, even when there was times. no summer blockbusters, we had summer blockbusters. Well, yeah, yeah. You'd have these movies come out, like you said, specifically for the the drive in, and this one is is no. No exception because it did come in a double feature with another film, right? Yes. It was one that was often played with Running Wild, which was a kind of a teen exploitation movie. It's got got very 21 Jump Street elements in that you've got this young rookie cop who goes undercover to infiltrate a uh, like an auto theft ring run by young people. Mm. And so it's one of those movies that's you know supposed to be a little salacious, but I mean it's by no means it's super super raunchy. It's nothing like you would get from the Grindhouse in the seventies or anything like that. But you know these are movies that you would see at the drive-in. And again, <laughs> like I said last week, you know to to the audience that they knew, where you had teenagers who were were there with a date and you know had 
certain beats they wanted to hit. <laughs> yeah. This film, I think just like last week's, it came from beneath the sea, suffers from, from some spans, some long spans of inaction, uh, a, lot, a lot of talking scenes. We'll, we'll get into that. But before before we do, Patrick, mm-hmm. uh, we didn't do this last week. because I don't know if there were much into it, but we got we got to go into to your, your favorite thing to do and tell us what's in a title. Right. So <laughs> there are other titles for for Tarantula in, in other countries. I think it didn't get as wide uh, international release as, as some of the other giant monster movies in our our history. You know, other places just called it like spider and things like that. But one thing I wanted to note was the hype campaign for this movie is so amazing. It had. Uh, dozens of different taglines, you know, things put on the posters to kind of sell this film. And the poster was very interesting in itself in that it very specifically depicts a spider with two eyes and, and like holding a, a woman in its, its fangs and its mandibles. But instead of a, an eight-eyed spider, multi-eyed uh, creature. But yeah, the, the taglines in this film <laughs> range from, you know, the, the kind of thing you would expect, you know, science fiction's most terrifying thrill to, to, to weird ones. Even science was stunned was, was a fun one. Researchers seeking clue. Can anything escape it? <laughs> It's like what <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. more terrifying than any horror known to man comes a creeping crawling monster who is a towering in for a, a fury that no one can escape really, really, really very boisterous taglines for, for this movie would be kind of the, the norm for, you know, if you've got kind of a bad film, you need to, to oversell <laughs> to, to the prospective audience, you know, walking by, taking a look at the posters for coming attractions. The the poster for Tarantula, it is a a shock to the senses. I mean, a lot of these kaiju films, even you know, when Godzilla films are released here in the US, they'll do new art and they'll really play it up and try and try and catch the eye and put in things that don't happen in the movie. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, it's it's a good thing to look into to see how how this movie was kind of marketed beforehand and what it does and does not deliver <laughs> in its final execution. I don't know if this is science fiction's most terrifying thrill, for example, Miles. No, and and even at the time, I mean, I, I, again, I, I, Bugs don't freak me out that much. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, if a giant tarantula landed on my hand, I would have more reaction than, say, a regular spider. Now, this movie might terrify my girlfriend, who has a a distinct phobia of spiders. Oh, yeah, and and so I, I understand that that that's where they're kind of going with this. Is so many people have a, a spider phobia, or at least are unnerved by them. You can make a pretty good chiller out of it. And for me, I get that, but at the same time, you've got it. You can't just say. Hey, we have spider. You have to do something <laughs> compelling with it. And, and that's where this movie really, well, that's not the only part where this movie kind of flops for me, but this, this movie falls apart for me because they like last week. I think they're, they only take the half measure. They, they get you the special effect. They get you the creature. It's yeah. there, but they don't do anything with it. It's such a superficial addition to uh, an otherwise like kind of monotonous 
I'm, human I'm, plot. I'm telling you, this is why I think them is the standout American monster film of the 1950s so far. For me, it really does excel where all these other movies kind of fall flat and it's the least menacing of any of them like ants, you know, mm-hmm. but it's just the threat of them spreading, you know, almost like a disease such as communism across the U S that needs to be tamped down and, and put under right. and, control. And even, even though that film had its fair share of, of human nonsense, they gave you that little, that little Easter egg, that little not Easter egg, that breadcrumb. <laughs> And so that's looming over this entire time that the humans are doing stuff and they're going on. I said they should have had an entire TV show contained with this where they're where they're looking into other weird things like UFOs and stuff to see, hey, maybe they're actually reporting on the the happenings of these ant queens. And that gave a decent enough amount of tension to the narrative that I could both allow and be excited by these humans doing things. Um, yeah. I know I wasn't the the biggest flag waver for for them but i mean i think my my actual score for that was a seven which is <laughs> which is pretty solid and i i i've spoiled a word of guy ain't that kind this week <laughs> <laughs> yeah this this one uh, I'll, I'll talk about later but did it, i had some difficulty at, at holding my attention i think I, me- I i messaged you via dm when i was five minutes into it and i was like oh no <laughs> five minutes yeah, in so <sighs> Yeah, yeah five that, wasted minutes. That's, that's something we don't talk about too often. Is a lot of times Patrick and I don't talk about the films too much beforehand. Yeah, yeah we're going to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sometimes we'll have some conversations or be like, "Oh my god, did you see this?" But for the most part, we don't we don't hold a lot a lot of of talks about the movies that we're watching for this week. And so for Patrick to be like exact words were five minutes into tarantula ellipses who boy who boy indeed uh i mean it just i don't think anything happens <laughs> I, I don't remember exactly what happened in those five minutes except you know we're meeting characters yeah, we, we have the the them beginning where you have the this deformed man oh you know, yeah kind of stumbling across the desert and then you get this this weird plot yeah. with the a doctor who's called in And then you have this whole rigmarole with another professor and the sheriff and the the country bumpkin doctor is convinced something is going on. But the, you know, the esteemed professor has basically convinced everyone everything's fine. And he's made to be more of a little bit of a laughingstock to the to the characters. I I will say, I mean, the we'll talk about the technical aspect of the, the makeup for the. The, the scientists that are affected by uh, acromegaly in the film. And I mean, that's one of the uh, places this film kind of excels, but we've got uh, it. The, the makeup looks good. It looks, it reminded me a lot of the deformed faces in the eye of the beholder episode of twilight zone, which mm-hmm. uh, would come out a few years later. And like I said, you know, this is directed and probably use some similar effects makeup effect artists as the creature from the the black lagoon so some some elements of those worked it is it does feel Boy, less... how do, you, do i wish we were watching that <laughs> <laughs> well as i was about to say it feels less like 
a kaiju film and more uh, a general horror film. There's definitely, like I said, elements of Frankenstein in this. I, I definitely think that there there can be elements of horror in, in kaiju. I mean, that's how it's been classified in America for a, a good long while. But uh, just like last week, you know, we have a, a giant creature. I don't think we have a kaiju. And... And this doesn't really feel like a kaiju movie. That said, the the mad scientist angle mm-hmm. is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it adds something that doesn't really exist in a lot of other movies, giant monster movies like this. Or I should be more specific. It it feels good comparatively to well, <laughs> what we watched last week. <laughs> well, yeah, we actually have a great character actor in uh, Leo G. Carroll, who is the, you know, quote unquote, you know, Frankenstein monster of of this movie, uh, Dr. Gerald Deemer, who's gaslighting the other main character and saying, no, there's there's no reason for concern here. But he's he's working on a advanced science experiment that is obviously causing some some death, some problems. Leo Carroll will have at this point acted in, I think, five or so different Alfred Hitchcock projects. We'll go on to work with the 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 director, but it's probably most well known as the head of the fictional spy organization within the show, The Man from Uncle. He's great in this movie. I thought, you yeah. know, kind of in a way that a lot of these other movies don't have brings a little bit of gravitas to one of the roles. Um, I would say in, in the a similar vein that them's Ed, Edmund Gwynn brings to Dr. Hell Medford. Yeah, I, I would I would definitely agree with that. I, I don't think the the rest of the cast holds too much of a candle to him. I think everyone else is. I hardly remember the rest of the cast. (laughs) Yeah. um, John, John Agar is Dr. Matt Hastings in the movie. He's like your main character, even though he, he feels like Carl Denham a little bit from, uh, yeah. Son of Kong. Yeah. Yeah. He's there. (laughs) Yeah. He's he's, he's there. He's got that leading man, like a studio's idea of a leading man kind of build. Yeah. And and he would go on to do a lot of cre- uh, not creature features, but science fiction films. Oh, yep. I mean, he's in Revenge of the Creature, and he is in he had another one, the Mole People. Mm. And yeah, so he had, and I think he's in two John Wayne films as well. But yeah, so he has that that kind of look. In fact, it makes sense that he was in John Wayne movies because he looks like that's the kind of of film that he would do. But the character is kind of written as every other quote unquote romantic lead in, in these American films so far. And, and, mm-hmm. and almost all of them, he's written the exact same way as Carl Denham is in son of Kong. He's and and insert male here for <laughs> it came from beneath sea beast of 20,000 fathoms. Like they're all kind of written the same. <laughs> he goes on to be a, uh, a bit character in 1976 King Kong. He plays uh, one of the city officials. I think he might have a line oh, nice. in that one. Um, yeah, yeah. He worked with the, the same director for Revenge of the Creature, the sequel um, to the first sequel to Creature from Black Lagoon, which I think I've seen. I enjoyed Mary Corday plays Stephanie Clayton, the romantic interest and another scientist assistant character, very similar to the the character from Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. She's there. She's there assisting Dr. Hastings mm-hmm. or, or or Dr. Leo uh, Carroll's Professor Deemer. She comes in and then has a romantic interest with, with 
Matt Hastings has has some great lines in this movie. She has the the quote quotable line science is science but a girl must get her hair done. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, again, it's the 50s. again, they 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 at least put women in these interesting, you know, roles in terms of like oh she's she's, you know, also a scientist just like in it came from beneath the sea. But that's where that progression stops. Oh yeah, not a movies. lot of agency for her her character. Unlike it came from beneath the sea, I think we we do get a little bit more respect for the the scientists' character in that film. Like like them, I think parts of this was supposed to be shot in, or this was set in Arizona and potentially supposed to be shot in the Nevada desert, but it was actually all shot in California in Apple Valley, and uh, one of the most probably cited factoids about this film is this is one of Clint Eastwood's first, I think, uncredited roles. I think that too. He was also uncredited in, I think, Revenge of the Creature as well, but he plays uh, Visor completely down. You wouldn't be able to recognize him. The Jet Squadron leader who at the end takes out the Tarantula. Well, at least he had that distinction, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you mentioned it before. I mean, this is this feels like a cash in of them. It's like, all right, they've already done the giant ant movie. Oh, uh, what can we do next? And giant spider came right up. No one's no one's done it yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I honestly, I, I like I said before, I think giant spider is a more compelling thing to do than giant ants. Yeah. I, I think it. I think there are more people who have a phobia of of spiders specifically when they're afraid of bugs. Mm-hmm. And so I think this, this definitely can, 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 you know, certainly, I guess I see why this movie exists, even though it basically copies <laughs> them to a T. I, so I wanted to ask you, Patrick, so this one does not rely on the effects of Ray Harryhausen. This, this relies on the use of a live spider. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. There are some other giant, bug and creature movies that use live animals i am pretty opposed diametrically because i think back in the day they were not treated well even in a movie we will review king kong versus godzilla uh, where they have a giant octopus there's reports that they after filming ate the octopus (laughs) so i mean to be fair i mean that's that's a general part of of the cuisine there so it's (laughs) Thankfully, they uh, I don't have any similar stories about the tarantula in this movie. But in general, I don't think in the, those times that animals were treated especially well. They achieved yeah. it. You know, they were able to control it because it's very difficult, to, if not impossible, to train a tarantula. They got it walking with you know slight bursts of air, you know, against its feet, which would make it raise up and, and move away from that. And move at a very leisurely pace. There's no running of the spider. It's yeah. it's a, a slowly advancing creature, and that kind of reminded me of Godzilla in a way. You know, lumbering <laughs> forward. It was lumbering, but it was because it's just a spider moving very slowly. I'm I'm with <laughs> you. I'm not a super big fan of of live animals being used, even even though I was glib about well, if it's you know, a if it's a op- bug. It's like it doesn't phase me that much, but. You know, we'll get later. When it gets larger, creature. yeah, it's 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 harder to to even defend that. But like, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I was glad about about the octopus, but I mean, like, you know, that I've had octopus, you know, so I, I know <laughs> that that's that's you know an actual menu item. So it doesn't surprise me that that was how that animal was used. But 
Yeah, we're we're less harsh about creatures if they're not cute and cuddly. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there is there is that, but in general, yeah, I, but... I I don't love the idea of using nothing not not using live animals, but live animals that may not be trainable i guess or yeah i mean obviously it didn't want to be in this movie <laughs> it's always moving away from these bursts of air but uh i will say technically uh, i mean the effects that they achieved worked pretty well for the time i would say the fact that it's in black and white probably helped with that you just have a very dark modeled tarantula in the the foreground of scenes that are composited with live actors in the in the the uh, you know, closest to the camera. Most of those scenes work pretty well. And I would say is probably some of the better composite filming of, of this era. Even it came from beneath the sea last week. Some of the, the shots, especially the first one where the tentacle releases out of the water, it's like, um, it's, it's very bad, uh, compositing, very bad rear s- screen projection where you can see kind of like folds in the, the, the screen. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't love the way the spider looked. I thought, especially since some of these scenes were shot at night mm. and they were shot at night in yeah. black and white. And while there are some scenes that I, I think it's like the first one that they do, they do it that look really, really cool. When, yeah. it, when it's the spider, it's the spider at night for the very first time. And Despite the the darkness of the film, there's a, a specific like image that that really works. There's a kind of an iconicness to it. However, the they they use it a couple more times, and then it just becomes oh, this isn't any sort of artistic thing. It's because they're just doing this, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it, it's a bummer because the the first time you see it, it looks really cool, and then they keep doing it, and you're like, oh, this just looks bad. Yeah, yeah, that it, it's definitely hampered by, but I mean, especially it feels like the movie is just getting going towards the end of it. Like it feels like a, a build up to a longer third act for the entire first hour of the movie, and then it it ends very abruptly without them really doing much with the. They they did build an actual you know spider so they can destroy it. But they didn't really do much with that. They didn't do much with it before it, you know, gets it gets killed. It's it's slowly walking towards you. It destroys a house at some point. But um, and I, I think that's what really helps sink this movie because all the other factors about this movie that I dislike would have been solved if the spider was an interesting villain. If it if it if it you know, reacted to its surroundings. If, if maybe if Ray Harryhausen had done it, or if they had like, I mean, obviously then we're not going to use the animatronics at the time, but like maybe someone in a suit or a puppet or something that was interacting with the movie itself. If it, if it reacted to, if they had plans to like stop it, that didn't work because it like outsmarted them or something along those lines. It is very animalistic and just kind of, you know, moves it's just, around. <laughs> it's not even reacting to, I mean, like they'll, they'll make these scenes, but they don't, especially look wonderful and yeah you can just tell it's a spider that's just kind of moving around a little bit <laughs> and that's that's it yeah. i know they do a couple things of like you know oh my cows uh you know were were desecrated and a they very boring scene where they're the two main leads are nearly crushed by rocks and it's like who moved those rocks like they don't even see that it's a spider on top of this hill <laughs> I, I love that scene because one of those uh, rocks rolls and hits the camera <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it, it's 
it, like a lot of these films, suffers a great deal of bloat. But yeah, in the same way that them really keeps the action moving along and escalates in most of the film, this takes about an hour to get to that kind of payoff. And then it just kind of ends, like I said, very abruptly. Yeah, um, it does. And and they dance around the whole like kind of Frankenstein story too much. I think that should have been a little bit more direct. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's one of the things that kind of they've added in here that does work a little bit, but is also <laughs> just just it feels like so many other B movies of the the fifties. <laughs> So many, you know, science gone wrong kind of things when we get the destruction of Frankenstein's lab. I will yeah. say that that is actually probably my favorite scene is where we first see the lab and Dr. Deemer is is walking around noting on like the the amount of time that he's been applying what looks to be a very dangerous element to these animals and showing their, their size increases. And we get a giant hamster or something along those lines. Then the first time we see the tarantula, it like, you know, jumps up against the, the glass wall. And it's like the size of a a huge dog. It's like 300 pounds. And that's, that affected me. I I physically reacted with disgust when I saw that (laughs) because the composite works very well in the same way in, you know, mighty Joe young, some of those scenes of, the the creature on top of 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 people like when it was on top of the lion's cage for example that that worked well and and here it i got the feeling it was real which you know is is unbelievable in this movie (laughs) but yeah that didn't doesn't have the same effect when it's giant in a lot of scenes yeah, I mean, I think the scene that you talked was one of my favorites as well. I did enjoy the bombing of the spider. I thought the when they had the actual special effect on fire, it looked really good. Yeah, and <laughs> it's so and funny it, though. It's, it's amazing what happens when you have something on set. Yeah, and then thirty <laughs> seconds later, the end comes up. There is no resolution. Yeah, which I've gotten used to with some of these American American pictures because they just like they just end. Well, like I, for them, I I mean, it it does have like a line or two at the end, but yeah, this one there's no dialogue. It just ends and all I can think of at the end of this was well, now there's a giant burnt spider corpse in the desert, you know, right <laughs> that they have to deal with uh which you know that you don't often see in these movies. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a giant giant mon- dead monster lying in the middle of the city. But yeah, I, I do think that aspects of the scientists we see with the acromegaly, you know, into these like unliving monsters does work. It does have a very classic horror movie, you know, Frankenstein style feel to it. But yeah, that's not really why I'm here. You know, <laughs> that's, that's not what makes a good kaiju movie, especially. Yeah. I, I I agree. And again, this is I would not consider this a kaiju movie in in, mm-hmm. in the the daikaiju sense. And yeah, I, I think a lot of I think this film has a handful of of decent ideas. I like the Frankenstein mad scientist aspect of it. I like the the good intentions behind it. There's a lot of concepts that work for me, but what doesn't work for me is almost all of the execution. Despite having a some good actors in here, when the good actors have bad material, it doesn't help. Like, I mean, there are plenty of good actors who have tried their best with bad scripts and it makes them look worse. And I feel like this is another example of that where no, no one's particularly bad in their acting, but the script is, is just, it's so dry and one dimensional. And, and that 
when you have a, a number of aspects that just don't line up because the, I, I I did not love the special effect. So I and I don't love the writing. And while I like some of the plot beats, that is not enough to carry me through what in the end feels like a lazy monster movie. Yeah, I would say one thing that really doesn't work for me doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like a TV show with especially some of the the sets and the staging of shots. I agree. Agree. Um, and yeah, that definitely um, definitely hurt my in- enjoyment of it, especially early on in the film when they are inside. Those sets inside just don't work as well. Unbelievably, uh, film critic Leonard Moulton <laughs> gave this movie three out of four stars, which on our scale would be you know like a seven, uh, and call it called it one of the best giant insect films. Of course, he was reviewing this much later on, uh, which you know. He, you- He's entitled to his opinion. That's that's fine. I don't know how he can praise the film's pacing, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it. There, there's like I said. I mean, there's enough aspects of the evil, uh, mad scientist and these these murders and things going on behind the scenes to I think keep your interest if you're interested in that aspect. But the whereas everything in them is really hyper focused on the mystery and finding these bugs this movie does meander because it's got the kind of side plot of yeah. uh, of dr um deemer as far as the legacy for this movie goes there's there's plenty of other giant uh spider movies nothing directly kind of related to this one we do see uh, you know the giant spider uh kumonga in in later godzilla movies and i think this film I want to say is shown in eight legged freaks like on one of the TV screens or, or maybe them is maybe I'm com- confusing those two, but fun movie. <laughs> yeah. There's not, not too many other super popular giant spider movies. Well, I mean, spiders do get used uh, at times, but yeah, it's, it's not like, I mean, it's kind of like the giant octopus. Although I would say yeah. that there there's earth versus the giant spider. There's, there's a handful of, of theatrically released giant spider movies. I feel like giant spiders are often a, an enemy for, for giant other giant monsters or in these kind of science fiction and fantasy films, but they're never a character. They're never really the focus. It seems. And even in late eight legged freaks, that's, hundreds of different spiders and monster monsters, uh, spiders. Um, this movie is referenced in Rocky horror picture show in the song science fiction, double feature, uh, with the line. I knew Leo G Carroll was over a barrel when tarantula (laughs) took to the Hills. I, I love, I love that song, but yeah, um, this is, this is another one that is just relegated to, Oh, it's one of those 1950s giant monster creature features. And I've scored it appropriately. I think, uh, we, we always, uh, rate three aspects of this film, one to 10, our personal enjoyment, the technical achievements and the, emotional and evocative achievements of, of the movie. And I think you are a little harsher than me this week as well, but for my personal enjoyment, it's a four out of 10. It's a regrettable experience that I, I wish I didn't watch it 
<laughs> um, I couldn't do it on one well, sitting. So with, with, with saying that, why do you think I'm harsher? <laughs> I don't I don't know. But yeah, I had to pause halfway through this and finish it on a different day just to didn't keep my attention. I found myself physically yawning during multiple parts. Uh, for personal enjoyment, m- mine was the same. It was a four. I, mm-hmm. I thought that the film, uh, like last week, had so much droll in yeah. how it just droned on. I I don't know how you can make a, a movie about a giant creature boring, but congratulations, guys. <laughs> two weeks in a row, y'all have done it. Um, yeah, uh, like I guess I, I that wasn't, wasn't as bad on It Came From Beneath the Sea. That one I could like sit through and like get my attention, but this one not so much. Yeah, I I I, I dislike the special effect. I dislike the 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 writing immensely. I think, like you said, it the direction is almost it feels on, like it's on autopilot. And yes, like it was made for TV, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily a bad thing. But when something feels made for TV, it is a bad thing. And yes, oh, th- yeah. this movie just did absolutely nothing for me. It's it's mediocre. I feel like it's it's soulless. I don't think, I mean, I think it's good well, enough. It's a like, shame because, yeah, I mean, the director is a good director. Mm-hmm. The Creature from Black Lagoon is a classic film. This one just wasn't given a great. Uh, good good directors can make scripts. bad movies. Yeah, and this one does feel a little rushed in some aspects. What, what about for the technical aspects? Also four. Okay. Uh, I was not as kind to the use of the spider as you were. I thought it was overall not well done for me. Mm. And. I mean, the the paper mache boulders were I mean, <laughs> I can have fun with that if I'm watching Star Trek and I'm I get that. But when I'm when I'm looking at stuff through the lens of of going through Kaiju cinema and what the specific idea of how this compares to what would be a, what will be in the Kaiju canon, like there's, mm. there's a reason why these films are not included. It's not just because they're they're cheesy and B, it's because it just feels like there's there's no love here. There's no there's no attempt to do, say or try anything yeah there's probably reason we won't get many one or two scores on this podcast because those movies we i mean i don't have the time to take before if they're that bad this one for me technically i like i said i i think they did some things well with the the composition of tarantula over you know the the, the hills of what's supposed to be Arizona. Sure. And I think the, the other aspect of it, the makeup departments, what they did with the, the monstrous acromegaly kind of faces worked well and added a, a dimension to this, this movie. Uh, so I gave it a six out of 10, you know, they did some interesting things, but definitely, definitely a lot of room for improvement. And then lastly, the film's kind of evocative responses. It's, it's addition to the Canon, not much mark of a, you know, in cinema history, I would say. And it it might have added to the kind of growing wave of giant creature monsters, uh, creature features here in the United States. But I don't think really stands out from the crowd. So, yeah, for bringing to life some great tarantula action, I give it a, a five out of ten there. I also gave it a five out of ten. I do think its distinction as one of the things that kicked off a lot of the drive-in radioactive American monster movies for better, for worse is, is at least, you know, it should be recognized. I, I, it's not a film that I personally enjoy, but if you're do, if you're going through the can of monster movies and this is on, you know, a, a level of success, you know, you should at least check it out just because I didn't like it. And I give it a very low score 
doesn't mean, I mean, yeah. Letter Molten gave it three out of four stars. So yeah, I, I'd be interested if people do have a fear of spiders. Maybe this is a much better movie for them. It, it's possible. Uh, I'd probably rather watch it right in a phobia, but oh boy. Oh, that's a, that's yeah, a bad one. <laughs> that's a legitimately, to me, a creepier movie. Oh yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, but, but beside the point, yeah, it, it's a four, a five out of uh, 10 for me, which I think brings my average to four and mine to a five, which means, and, and just the way we've weighted uh, these weighted these and combine them it's like a 4.66 we're gonna round that up to a podcast kaiju versus history score of five out of ten which once again it's up there with son of kong if you are up there die, <laughs> die, if you're a diehard fan of the genre and want to watch them all definitely go for it if not oh that's a skip yeah it's that's, it's definitely a skip it's not one i will probably likely watch any time at least under my own volition yeah, I think that the right atmosphere to watch this one is with alcohol and making fun of uh, it as you go in a mystery science theater 3000 style way. <laughs> but otherwise, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Where can where can people find us, Miles? You can uh, follow us on Twitter at Kaiju versus History. Email us with any comments, concerns, or Kaiju facts at Kaiju versus History at gmail.com. And go to kaijuversushistory.com to get ready for the next installment of our March through the Annals of Monster Movie Mayhem. So thank you, Patrick, and to you listeners. And we will catch you next time when we return to the, you know, one of the greatest kaiju films of all time and see how badly the U.S. studios can muck it up. That's right. Tune in next time for History versus Godzilla, King of the Monsters. 1956. Screonk. <laughs> <laughs>